Hey guys, welcome back to Funny Blunt Truth. We're on episode 19. Uh, my name is Dave. Don's on a podcast, of course. And we have, we have a, a special guest for this episode. Um, it's an amateur filmmaker, a guy out there, you know, trying to do his thing and, and, and hit the big leagues. So we're going to have a cool perspective on the amateur film scene and the difficulties with that and, uh, his name is Brian Kinn of New Breed Films, and he also um, runs uh, New Breed Film Reviews, which is a, a popular podcast on the internet. <laughs> so uh, you want to say hi to uh, the listeners out there, Brian? How you guys doing? I'm uh, <clears throat> glad you guys could have me on here and uh, hoping to chit-chat with you and kind of share share what I think about the industry. Cool. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, now for you listeners, I, I can't do this to you. I gotta be honest because I'm an upfront guy. <laughs> Brian and I are actually friends. We've actually worked together in short films and, and stuff like that with the collabs, but we're really, really good friends. And, uh, so, um, I guess we can, uh, kick the show. Oh, wait. Before we start the show, oh, yeah. the podcast is uh, sponsored by Keeper Brand Fishing Apparel. So uh, if you guys some, need some really good fishing gear that's breathable, comfortable, um, we, we recommend Keeper Brand. It has nothing to do with them being a sponsor. We recommend Keeper Brand. <laughs> Keeperbrand.com is the website, too. Is it is it specific uh, fishing, like shirts? Well, so the thing is, is they offer fishing gear, like, and it's usually fishing-themed stuff. Uh, but it's also performance gear. Uh, so really, I mean, so anybody can get like a, like a nice shirt with like a big old picture of a bass on it from. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. I think they do have bass. I think freshwater is actually a big part of their market. Um, but yeah, no, it's good stuff too. Super comfortable. And I mean, super comfy. No, they got good shit, man. It's, it's definitely, uh, breathable and comfortable. So, um, we definitely recommend it. And we'll be honest with you guys. We wouldn't just say that. So, <clears throat> all right. On with the episode. Don, if I can ask my first question, is that okay? You go ahead. All right. So my first question for Brian is, um, what are your, what are your first memories as far as, uh, having a big interest in like film? And I'm not talking like, you know, being a fan. I'm talking like when you felt like you could do this. Like when do you, do you remember? Uh, yeah, I would say. You know, like obviously besides growing up and watching films and always being interested in it and, you know, like always, I wish on VHS days, you know, they never had behind the scenes. If you watch till after like the credits, you know, they kind of ran that behind the scenes role. <laughs> but when I was growing up, that's where I would always be interested in kind of how do they do that? You know, like how did they make that guy turn into liquid metal in friggin' Terminator, you know, that kind of stuff. But um I remember... When I was growing up, probably when I was like, I don't know, 12-ish, um, my buddy got a camcorder, um, high eight camcorder, and, uh, for Christmas or something like that. And then we wanted to go out and start making like skate videos. So, uh, my mom, I had told her like, Hey, I, I, I like doing this. You know, we're like making skate videos or funny videos or stupid skits. Like, uh, we did like a, I remember, I remember one of the stupid ones, like we did like this, operation skit where like the surgeon kept pulling random stuff out of the guy's chest you know it was like like twinkies and stuff like that out I, <laughs> I remember that and i was like hey i i i want a camera you know and uh my mom got me a camera and then i just we just kind of started filming like little shorts and uh like like skate videos and then we'd like you know prank people and record that kind of stuff and then um uh, actually, like, I started building kind of like a repertoire of, not repertoire, uh, uh, a catalog of all that kind of stuff. And then, uh, I don't know if you guys are familiar with CKY, like the CKY videos, like before Jackass. Yeah, yeah. You guys familiar Stunts with that? and silliness. Yeah, like Bam Margera and stuff like that. So we used to watch a lot of that stuff. And, um, we started filming a lot of that stuff, our own kind of funny jokes and, and, uh, skates and, and stunts and jumping off people's roofs and getting in kayaks and going off, um, behind waterfalls and stuff like that. So we actually like edited a video together, VHS to VHS, like old school before you could really edit on computers. And, uh, I walked around kind of slinging, um, slinging VHS <laughs> tapes in college or not college, high school. Uh, I was going to say locker. something funny. Slinging what, bro? <laughs> <laughs> But I had like a, uh, five bucks a piece for the VHS tapes and I sold like, I don't know, 40 tapes and everybody liked it. So, wow. uh, 
it kind of kind of was cool from like there like hey i'm making content that that people actually like and mm-hmm. and uh we we're kind of like not like celebrities but everybody like oh i can't believe you jumped off that 40 foot cliff into that guy's pool you know like mm-hmm. that kind of stuff who who wound up in the hospital like anybody got like seriously hurt i like split my head open and got staples because i thought it was a good <laughs> idea to um thought it was a good idea to like skateboard like high speed and then like uh try to like jump this couch and then i like went over the couch and hit like a um dumpster so i split my head Damn, open Damn, dude yeah Holy nobody no, nobody real serious injuries but definitely a lot of bumps and bruises and stuff like that mm-hmm. <clears throat> so interesting, yeah interesting um so i was hustling i was hustling the vhs tapes that's right <laughs> every day i'm hustling um so what are some of your like accomplishments like what have you done in in the uh amateur film scene how have you participated in that um like uh if you guys are familiar you guys are familiar with the 48 hour film festivals yes lightly so, very familiar <laughs> so that's like your that's like your top um for an amateur filmmaker that's that's how you get like noticed and that's how you you do those kind of things and, uh, usually 40 hour film festival, just to kind of overview what it is, is you walk in on Friday night and they give you a prop line of dialogue character and then, um, a certain genre that you pick out of a hat. And then you have from Friday night till Sunday to turn the film in start to finish. So, uh, we had done a couple of those, um, but we had a local film festival, uh, we're in, I'm in Connecticut and there's a new London film festival and, um, they actually give you four days to do that one. It's not like affiliated per se with the 40 hour film festival, but same concept. They give you all the elements and then you have to make a film within four days. Uh, and then we, um, we actually, we won that one. Um, we had like a mockumentary and, and we put in for it and I, I can't remember, I think it was like 11 or 12 teams or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, we came up on top to, to be in the best film that was out there. And that was, that was pretty cool. And, um, you want to go into a little more detail on that one? Yeah. I, I was actually present for that. <laughs> yeah. Like as far as, um, how heartbreaking was it, dude? I know. You want to so tell we, the story stories? Yeah. So we were on the way delivering the DVD because you have a deadline, you know, you have whatever it was. I think it was like Tuesday night. You had like Friday night to Tuesday or something to deliver the DVD. And, um, we were having issues with it at my house, so we actually put it onto a laptop, and then we were burning the DVD in the laptop, and went there, and then literally popped the DVD, which was burning, within like 10 minutes of when it was due, and handed the DVD in. We Dude, didn't, we, were, we, we were burning on the road. Yes, we just turned it on, <laughs> and then, uh, just to see if it worked, and it did, so we handed it in, and then we got a call, um, like an hour later, saying, hey, the audio doesn't work. There's only video, no audio. And, um, she's like, well, you're past the time for submission. She said, but you can submit it with audio anyways, and then it'll still be considered, it'll be considered without audio. And, um, so we sent it in and the whole thing went through. Uh, we didn't like officially win, but the lady pulled me aside who ran the organization. Um, her name is Barbara. She's a nice lady. She pulled me aside. She said, Hey, she said, I just want to let you know you won. She said, your film was the best film that was there. And she said, I actually fought for them to try to allow your film to be in there as the top, as, as ranked the way it was with audio, uh, because it was the best one out there. And they actually still use that film today to kind of promote the Whaling City Film Festival. If you look like on their page or whatever, it's like one of the, the winning film that year, uh, which was okay. It wasn't that great. And I'm not like tooting my own horn by any means at all. Um, but the quality wasn't there. The quality of ours, I think, was a lot better. Mm-hmm. Um, they still promote our film. So it was an unofficial win, but it was definitely an accomplishment that you can beat out those many teams, you know. Mm-hmm. And it must be like affirmation that, you know, you may be onto something, right? I mean, it's, you it's, can a, do it. it's yeah. a city contest. Like you exactly. won a city contest. Yeah. So. Don, you have anything for Brian? <laughs> I was the waiting. Other, I was letting you guys chat it up. I was interested. The, the uh, other thing I wanted to bring up too, which I thought is is pretty cool, um, there's a online film content contest where that you make like promoted content for for certain like different sponsors, and they did entered like a Got Milk competition where you had to just make a commercial, uh, thirty second commercial for Got Milk, and the 
actual video, the 30 second video, which was kind of like a spoof on cops where the milkman kind of would go to people's houses to deliver milk in like a cop style when it was a domestic disturbance call. It sounds really stupid the way I'm describing it, but it actually came out to be a pretty cool little short. Um, it actually took first place uh, out of 226 applicants and I went 10,000 bucks or the group won 10,000 bucks. So that's wow, pretty, dude. crazy. Pretty cool accomplishment. So is, is, uh, is there a really large difference in just reducing the time scale for a movie versus just trying to do one on your own, having all the time in the world, but maybe, maybe it's a bit more like herding cats, getting everything together. Cause I always thought like when you have, and I've never entered a film contest, but when you have a given time frame that everybody knows, it might actually make it easier because everybody's towards that one goal. Is that something you find, you know, when you shoot your own stuff on your own time, it might actually be more difficult than uh, a thing? Or or do you find, like, those limited um, film contests to be more difficult? Oh, you hit the nail on the head, Don. When when you work on your project on your own, um, time's unlimited. So everybody looks at it that way and says, uh, yeah, 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 we'll push it. We'll push filming this time. Or, uh, yeah, I'll get that prop to you. I got to make the prop and I'll get the prop to you whenever. Uh, but when you enter a competition, um, everybody there is, is there at the start and rides with you all the way to the finish because there's a deadline. Um, so I think, and I, I personally work better underneath a deadline and underneath pressure. Um, as far as like having a goal in mind of the time and, and the end goal. And I think that when you get a bunch of people together and you say, okay, we have until eight o'clock on Sunday night. So if we don't turn this in, then we fail. And, um, I think it breeds breeds its creativity and breeds a drive that um that you don't get on a normal film set where nobody's getting paid and there's no direct motivation to do it except for whoever's the main creative head in it you know the people that are most involved are the ones that are really pushing and driving it um that have the ideas but you get actors and you get people to do props and you get people to kind of show up whenever um when you have a film competition uh like we've, we've done a bunch of them and um when people show up, they say like, okay, I'm here and I know that yeah, I need to be here and I know I need to be here to finish this. I know that I need to clear my schedule. I know that I have to just, I got to be there for you from start to finish. And it's also less of an involvement. They know that no matter what, past 48 hours, they're not have to going to be involved anymore, you know? So it's, it's easier to get people to get involved. Mm-hmm. Yeah. See, like with the whole creative aspect, um, <clears throat> like I agree with you, Bri, like, you know, when you, when you feel that pressure on your back, you know, it, it gives you, it gives you like a sense of urgency and, um, you know, you either like rise to the occasion or you don't. But I, I think, I think there's a, you know, um, there's good and bad with that because I think a lot of times also like when you really take your time with something, like think about like scripts, like scripts are like rewritten like five times before like yeah. the final product is released. So you got to think when you rewrite something for a fifth time, it's got to be better than the first, you know? So, but with like rush short films, um, I don't know. It's, it's good and bad. Like you said, it kind of gives you that fire under your ass to like, you know, uh, get, get it going and pump something out good. You feel that pressure, but. Um, I'm kind of torn with having like all the time in the world and being rushed. It's, it doesn't, uh, uh, this is me. I agree with you. It doesn't, it, it, no matter what, when you have a film competition film, it's not going to come out the way you want. It's just going to come out the way that it needs to be done. So <clears throat> you don't have that flexibility and, and you might make creative choices or creative cuts to say like, okay, we can't do that because we don't have enough time to do that or, uh, that's too big of an idea and, and you make sacrifices to, to, um, to what your original story was, you know, you, you might not be able to tell the story that you want to tell right. um, because you constrict it, which I, I fully agree with you, but See, it's hard to, to gather people yeah. know, in a longer time frame. See, it sucks. Um, uh, you know, it happens in big budget films and, and, and director's cuts when you get, you know, when you get the director's cut movies, they include all the cut scenes. And sometimes you, you see interviews with directors and they're like, you know, um, they find it a shame that their movie had to be cut down because there was maybe there was like amazing scenes in it. And, and for whatever reason, it just, it didn't jive with the movie, but there were really cool scenes like standalone Um and working on short films. Like with you, uh we've had it happen to us, dude. Like 
um, budget is a huge thing. So we have like yeah. these grand ideas and on paper, it's fucking amazing. But like when you go to film it, we're like, how are we going to do this shit? Like we're poor. Like we, yeah. <laughs> we can't do this. We have like dollar store props. Like how are we going to pull this off? You know, I don't have a, I don't have it in the budget to get a helicopter. Where the hell did we write this in the script for? <laughs> right. Hey, miniatures, dude, dollar store. I'm telling you spray paint. Uh, <clears throat> But yeah, sometimes it's a shame um, when when shit has to get cut out, and it's happened to us. Like, you know, where our well, skits. You you know, to hit on that too, I think a lot of people think that once you make it into the movie industry, and you sign this big contract, and you're gonna direct and shoot your own movie, that you're gonna be able to cut it how you want. And I think it comes as a lot of shock to young filmmakers. And I've actually heard that through a lot of like the DP30 interviews. If anybody ever goes online and checks them out on YouTube. Um, they're really fascinating, but a lot of them say, you know, you get in there and you don't realize that that film has to go through the sieve of the, uh, the studio heads. And if they don't want something in there, they can call cut and that's it. You know, they can butcher your movie how they want to. And I think it's hard for a lot of really creative people, uh, to deal with that. I mean, it's just, it's interesting because you guys were saying you have that problem with lower budgets and making it on your own, but I think it's also an issue the people don't realize when you get bigger, you get those big budget movies. You get a bunch of you when you get to Hollywood. You got a bunch of guys, a bunch of suits sitting in a room saying yes or no to to what your creative idea is, and yeah. you know they they have the money, so they do get to say what happens and what doesn't happen. So yeah, it's why a lot of successful <laughs> movies and successful um, things that are out there from from certain directors or passion projects that are funded by you know them producing it themselves, you know, some small stuff like that. They, they get to put their idea out there the way that they want, you know? I think some directors have to walk away and say, Hey, uh, like, uh, Edgar Wright walked away from Ant-Man because yes. they didn't, they wanted to do it creatively different than him. And he said, Hey, uh, I don't want to do it this way. So if you're going to force me to do it a way that you want, then I'm not going to do it. So, which it's, is a damn right. shame, a damn shame, because I'm sure you're well aware. I'm a big campaigner of Edgar Wright. Uh, yeah, I he's love, great. I, he I think he's one of the, the, the best modern filmmakers. Sorry, I didn't mean to talk over you. He's phenomenal, and, and Marvel essentially drove him away. Exactly. But I think they've done that with a lot of directors. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the only directors that get away with doing whatever the F they want are the, the real big league guys that – that they have leverage over the studios because like money talks bullshit walk. So like when studios see that they have something major to gain by letting this director with a proven track record of doing whatever the fuck he wants, it's going to make a ton of money. They're like, all right, let him do it because he's going to make us more money. But Tarantino. Uh, yeah. I was other- just watching too. I, was, I just watched like, um, a thing that popped up about like jaws and like, you know, that's obviously <laughs> one of my favorite films. And they talked about Steven Spielberg and the initial production budget was, um, for two months out on the ocean and then it ended up being like eight months or something like that. And the, and production was almost kind of halt because they were like just dumping money into the water into this thing. Cause it was six months past when it was initially supposed to do. And this is when he's a young buck, you know, not really trusted. And he, he almost came to the point where they stopped the production of jaws because they just kept having issues and pouring money into it and stuff. So, you know, almost, it almost got to a point where bureaucracy and, and Hollywood and people in an office stopped like a film like Jaws from being able to be seen. So, which that brings me to like another thought. It's kind of like along the same lines of like our, our current topic. But um, what do you guys think? What do you think produces better content? Collaborations or or when someone has full control of their idea from top to bottom? And before you guys answer, I just want to give my answer. Um, I think collabs have a place and I think great things were created from collaborations but I also but I personally think the best content comes from the original unfiltered vision like like really Scott's a big advocate of that he's like fuck what everybody thinks do what you want so from top to bottom from the writing directing like he has full control over all the whole movie and I think you know um but sometimes it could be a nightmare because if somebody's if somebody's not really talented like that, it could be a train wreck. But when somebody's actually good at what they're doing and they have full control, I think it produces amazing shit. What do you guys think? Brian? Um, I agree with you. Like you said, there's a certain time and place for everything. I mean, um, there is not a single person that steps up and tells Quentin Tarantino what he does with any of his films. So, And obviously his track record has proven that 
Um, it's his idea, it's his way, and he successfully has done that. But you have collaborations like um, the Wachowski brothers doing The Matrix. Um, that was fantastic, and they just bounced ideas back and forth of let's try this, let's do this, let's see how this was. And then you have that great, the great first, you know, Matrix film. Um, they kind of fell apart on the end, but because they got too many people involved. And uh, like you had said, it's cool. I guess it just depends. I mean, if you have a good idea, um, and a studio trusts you or uh, people trust to hand you over money and, and you have a good track record, then I think that there should be no, if you give like Steven Spielberg, for instance, or James Cameron, like I'm pretty sure for any movie that Spielberg is right now, they just say, okay, here's the money and uh, just, you know, do what you do. Not, yeah. Do what you do. And same thing with James Cameron. I'm sure they just threw a bunch of money at him and they said, okay, you promised us three avatar movies. We trust that you're going to be able to do a good job with it. Here you go. Go ahead. But the problem with non-collaboration, the problem, it's one-way thinking. You know, uh, I think the old saying, two heads are better than one, is is good in any kind of situation. you got to sometimes have people put you in check, you know. And also some people make you think outside the box and think outside of how you would convey it. I mean, sort of filmmaking is a story. So if you're not telling the story in the right way or, or um, you are not conveying exactly what you're supposed to. And in your mind, you're thinking, Hey, I'm conveying this portrayal of this story of this character. And you're not being able to come across that somebody getting in for a collaboration to kind of straighten you out is, is a good idea. So, well, what about the balance sometimes when you have a person that's way out there and then you have a person that's a little more conservative and then somewhere in the middle of both ideas, some amazing shit occurs. Like that's the sweet spot. That's that's the sweet spot. That happens too. You know, it even happens with music. Like when you have bands, you know, when sometimes you have like a formula of like that group. And then once people go their own ways, like one guy wants to be, let's say you have a vocalist of a band and he doesn't fully write his own shit. The guitarist helps him. So once that band goes separate ways in a way, like that, that one vocalist is like, oh, I'm going to do a solo project. And this shit comes out like garbage because that, right. that chemistry, that whatever mix that was making the original content awesome is not there. Yeah, there's a, I have a lot of examples of that with, uh, underground metal bands who've done that and the lead singers think that they're hot shit because somebody else is writing their stuff and as soon, and you know, together they work because the one person sings incredible and goes all over the range, but then, uh, you know, they decide they want to write their own stuff or go their own way and then man, just fall flat on their face. But, um, to answer your question though, uh, that you asked, I honestly think if you can get somebody, it kind of depends on the director, though. Okay, so, you know, nobody's going to go up, like you said, and tell Tarantino what to do. But I do know this, that uh listening to Tarantino as he's matured over the years, he takes in more information uh the older he gets, and he allows people to do their own thing. So he, he hires. Does. Yeah, he, he, lets, he hires. Like Samuel L. Jackson. I'm sorry, I didn't want to step over you. Go ahead. You were probably going to give that example. Well, I was just gonna, I was gonna say, he hires the best people in the industry, so, True. like, his, his director of photography, his, his lighting guys and everything are people he's carried over who are the best of the best. So all he has to say is, I want the scene to look good, and it needs to be like this, and needs to be like that, so his vision doesn't really change. He has the best people to come bring that to life, and he trusts them. And I think the example that, that you're about to give is, is Sam Jackson saying, uh, you know, the best director is like a Tarantino. All you got to do is tell me, uh, you know, faster, slower, louder, and softer. And that's all he really does because he hires his actors to be actors. Right. So he lets them do that. He hires his DP to be the director of photography and all this stuff. So they, they do it all, you know, and he hires the best people. But then you do get those rare exceptions where you get, and I know you guys are going to roll your eyes here, but you get those Stanley Kubricks who are those I think honestly for me, like once in a century type people, he would have so much innate control over every detail happening on set. And if you ever get to watch some of the documentaries about the guy, uh, he would, he would go through uh, with one of his actors who played on Dr. Strangelove with the, the actor. He found out like he looked at the actor's personal lives before they got hired, mm-hmm. found out the one guy was a big chess player, but he was also a hard ass. So he went in there one of the very first days on set and he pulled out a chessboard with the actor and he said, let's play. Before they shot any scenes or anything, and he whooped his ass like <laughs> real bad because Stanley Kubrick was super intelligent. He was really good at that stuff, and basically put that actor into check right then and there. So for the rest of the set, he knew that he was you know dominant over this guy. Or uh, who was the chick who was in um, 
The Shining. Stacey oh. Duvall? Shelly Duvall. Shelly Duvall. She you played Olive Oil in the Popeye movie. Dude, if you ever get to see the behind-the-scenes footage of him and how he tormented the living daylights out of her just to get the performance he needed, and, you know, it's one of those things, and he got to do whatever he wanted to do. Like, the 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 uh, studio execs would just pour money on him because he would make money, and he made those historic movies, but that's, that's pretty rare. I think a lot of uh, modern-day directors, even if they're a solo act, still have a lot going on. Like, a, a Christopher Nolan gets to do whatever he wants, but he bounces ideas off of his brother that he takes with him on every movie. So True. to me, it's one of those things, you know. <clears throat> hmm. Interesting, interesting take. <laughs> um, I got a question for you, Bri. Yep. So who are your biggest inspirations in, in the film industry? It could be, it could be actors. It could be directors. It could be camera guys. Like who, who inspires you? Um, I would have to say, like I'd already kind of mentioned before, like I really, I respect Quentin Tarantino as a director and a writer, um, because like I think, uh, we've had this conversation before, um, that I think the best content that you're going to have from a director is a content, is content that he wrote. You know, I'm not very good, a good writer and, uh, the projects that I've worked on, it's been mostly a script kind of handed to me and then I kind of run with it. And, uh, but I really respect the fact that it, it's coming from a piece of paper, his head, his ideas, and then he's putting it on screen to start to finish cradle to grave. It's his baby. So I, I really respect that. And, um, as far as like other directors and styles that I like, um, Steven Spielberg, obviously James Cameron. Um, I like Ridley Scott as well. And like we just mentioned before, um, I always wanted to have a style that's kind of like Edgar Wright. Um, I love like his quick takes, like, and, uh, I'm sure that's a direction from him. That's a, a style signature that he has, uh, like Shaun of the Dead, you know, and, um, Hot Fuzz and all that kind of stuff. Those, those quick cuts are, are something that, like I love when I, when I see the film that, our film that can integrate that. Yeah. See, and, uh, I can only take a few, of, uh, I, I can only take so much of that style, dude. I'm not as a, a big, I'm not, not to cut you off. I'm sorry, but I'm not a, uh, as big of a fan as you guys. Like I think he's talented, but his style almost gets annoying to me because it's so really, it's so, yeah, it's so out of the norm of like traditional filmmaking. It's very but, speedy and, and, um, not flashy is not the word, but it's like new age. It's, it's very like quick cuts and, and it's not hard to keep track of things, but I think it's almost, sometimes it kind of does make it a little hard to follow the movie. That's yeah, just my see, opinion. Yeah, but that opinion is how I feel about Transformers. You know, I tried to watch that before. Oh, but that's garbage. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying. There's so many jump cuts so fast. I think what Brian's getting at is like the whip pans and, and you know, the, the scene cuts, or if you ever saw Scott Pilgrim, he would just have the entire lighting crew when they were done with the scene to make it look cool. Cause this is just the way he works. He likes to have fun. And I think, I think that's what Brian likes and why I like him is cause it looks like it's fun, like when he's making it. But yeah. he would have them when they were done with the scene in Scott Pilgrim and they wanted to transition to the next one. They would literally, and you see the screen go black in the movie theater when you watch it. He literally had the entire lighting crew shut all the breakers off. And so they would film a scene and as soon as the one person said the last word, he would give the signal and everything, all the lights on set would go completely out. So I mean, it would be just pitch black. And that to me is a signal that he's just having a good time. And that's what I think. <laughs> Why Brian and I dig on him because he's, he's just he's creative, you know. Right. <clears throat> yeah, I yeah, like those, the, the those would be kind of where I pull the inspiration of. I I'm, I haven't really gone into the acting aspects or anything like that. If if I'm in a film, it's usually uh to play like the no name, the unnamed guy that's at the gas station or <laughs> the bartender that says two lines, you know. So mm-hmm. uh, that's just not something that interests me. Re- like um, uh, cinematography and directing and and um. Uh, Writing is something that I would like to get into. I'm actually working on a script now and I'm like 70 pages is the most I think I've ever written in my entire life. <laughs> so, uh. Now, now you were, you were mentioning acting and I have to get this question off my chest because I'm just dying to know. Yeah. Dave, Dave was a talent in one of your movies or in some of them, right? Yes. Okay. Cause I, I watched a few and, uh, how bad is he to work with? How difficult, <laughs> how difficult is Dave to work with as an actor? <laughs> He, uh, he's, he, Dave is, is a special, That's a long kind, answer. <laughs> special kind of guy. He is. And, uh, and Dave, I respect him in all aspects of when he has a idea in mind about something, he sticks with that idea. You know, he, uh, he has a vision and he keeps that vision. 
Um, Dave, his best roles that I've had in short films with me are actor or character roles. He is definitely a uh, pure definition of a method actor. He needs to completely take on a different character um, other than himself. And he, and he does fantastic. He, he can um, become a retarded fisherman <laughs> or he could become a 1920s gangster. Um, those are very easy for him. So, um, at that point too, he, he's always helped me on set, but when he is ready for him to act, um, he, he completely will, will shut off like helping the way the set needs to be or people need to be. Um, he kind of just like, okay, this is where I have to step in. This is where I have to act. This is where my line's going to go. And that's my focus. So. Um, do you uh, do you think it's difficult or easier to have somebody who's as passionate about filmmaking working with you on set, whether it be Dave or somebody else? Um, I think um, it's it's difficult and easy at the same time because it, it's harder to have somebody there that doesn't care about being there, that that doesn't want to put anything in there. I'd rather have somebody that's gung ho and is going to step toe to toe with me to try to prove their point and to try to get across what they want to convey or the story that they want to push or the idea like, Hey, I think that we should do it this way. I'd, I'd rather appreciate a person doing that than somebody that's just like, okay, when are we going to eat lunch? Okay. Are we done yet? Um, I only do want to do one more take and then I'm done. You know, like I'd, I'd rather have that. That kills the vibe, man. Completely kills the energy on set. We've been in situations like that before, correct, Dave? Like, yes, um, yes. And um, I, I can't remember which director says this, and I, I always go back to this all the time. Um, if you don't have like a scriptwriter or a story, if you can't argue any point in your story and try to prove your point, it's not worth being in there. You know what I mean? So like, if you can't, if you can't convey why you had that in the script or why that's an essential part of the story, then just throw it out because. <clears throat> You know, that it's, it's no, it's just fluff and it's not going to do, do you any good. Now, now, uh, <laughs> I was going to say, thanks for the compliments, man. And, um, it, it's true. Like, as far as like acting, like I get really excited for comedy. That's like my niche. Like I like comedy and I just get really excited to, to play colorful actors. I mean, color, blah, colorful characters. Like it doesn't matter if it's comedy or not. Um, it just, it excites me, man. And, uh, I have fun with it. So, but it's funny if I can tell like a little backstory. So for you listeners out there, Brian is like actually one of my best friends and the way we linked up with film, it's kind of funny. It was almost like fate. It's actually very similar to like how I and Don got hooked up with podcasting and, 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 uh, and, and film stuff also. But so <laughs> I used to do like home theater installations and, um, I would go through cadets like nobody's business. I guess like they couldn't hang or, you know, it wasn't for them or they get fired. So, um, <clears throat> I needed a new partner and, um, Brian and I worked at the same establishment, which I won't, I won't really drop any names in case we get sued. Uh, <laughs> so I didn't really know Brian like, well, I just, I didn't like him initially, like something about him. And it's because he worked in a very stressful department and i didn't i didn't really think about that but to me he just seemed like a guy who had an attitude and it really was not you know far from the truth so i really didn't didn't care for him too much i'm like this guy's like a d-bag it is like a douche like i didn't care for him and when i found out he was going to be like my new partner i'm like all right like we'll you know i'll roll with it see what happens so we start working together and uh you know he starts learning of my craziness and insanity (laughs) The guy yeah. flat out looked at me in the eyes when they said, do you realize how crazy you are? But that's a whole other story. Um, so we, we started getting along, you know, having fun on jobs. We, we became friends <clears throat> and I'm going to, I'm going to stop ranting in a second. So I started <laughs> writing in my teens. I used to write like mock sequels to movies. Like I wrote like, um, I started a sequel to the thing. So, you know, I used to have fun with it. I never really thought about going anywhere with it and uh i stopped writing for like a while and i also had you know aspirations to get into acting but it just died it died like the work life took over total back burner almost kind of gave up on it and then i started working with brian and brian already had done short films with a, a group of guys and in conversation 
you know, he's, it just came up like, yeah, man, I, you know, I do short films, blah, blah, blah. And I, it just like a light bulb just went in my head. I'm like, what? Like, you know, he, I think you mentioned something about needing a writer or like something. I don't know. I'm like, dude, like I write. Like, I like to fucking write. Like, and then from there, boom, we started doing short films, uh, became like best friends. And it was almost like fate, man. It's, it's really crazy. And since then, we've done some like, uh, quite a few like little projects and stuff. And, and I'm going to shut up. I swear. Uh, and, and the scene goes for Don and I, um, moved to another state, randomly worked at this spot. Just started talking to some tall dude. <laughs> uh, we shared like a, a a love for film, right, Don? And then you know developed a friendship, and then it just evolved into the show that we're doing right now. So, uh, but that's a little backstory. Crazy stuff. Oh, really crazy, dude. And I'm a firm believer of like fate and stuff like that. So it's crazy how how things work out. But do you have a question for Brian, um, Don? Because I have one. <laughs> Again, I, I was listening. I was just listening to the thing. I'll let Brian talk, but I was just fascinated by the story. That was actually the first time of me really hearing that in detail. So, Brian, go ahead. Um, shit, I forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> and <laughs> cut. All right. You want me to drop the question? <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, in your opinion, Brian, what is, what is the definition of success to you in the film industry? Like, like, if you, what, if you accomplish something, what would it be that will make you feel that you've made it, that you're successful in the film industry? Uh, that's a good question. And, um, like we've always joked about before, like, uh, let's get to Sundance, you know, like, um, it's, uh, I watched this vlogger and his name is Casey Neistat. And, um, he's originally from new London, Connecticut. And, uh, he just went and just, moved to New York city, lived on someone's couch and started making films for YouTube. And, um, he's extremely popular now. And he says you're the validation of you being able to create content and create video is, is for people to watch it. You know, he's, so he said, he said, what's the difference between a million people watching the video I put out today on social media and 50 people in, in a theater watching the film. So, that always kind of gets, gets me that way. But the way that I would think it would be for me personally, um, to make it in the industry is to get a film somewhere outside of the internet, outside of sharing it into somewhere in some sort of production. And also at a film festival that has notoriety to it, to actually get an award for a film to have it beat other films that are a high caliber, not, a Hollywood style. I would never dream about getting to Hollywood because I, it's just not a possibility. It's not in the cards for me. As far as my family would go, their, their first priority, this is second. And, um, but getting somewhere like Sundance or, or Tribeca Film Festival or South by Southwest or something like that and actually getting it in there and getting notoriety for the <clears> film and, and getting the film into distribution and stuff like that would be fantastic. That's, that would be my, my ultimate goal to say like, okay, I did it. I, I got it. I, I'm, I'm an accomplished filmmaker. I've been doing this since 12 years old and then it's paid off, you know? So, so, okay. Let me ask you to, I'm sorry, Don, if I'm just taking over the mic. Um, it, so you're telling me, okay, what if something huge was like thrown on your lap? Um, you still would, you would not like take it. Like what if like Hollywood came knocking on your door and they wanted to be, wanted you to be a full time, filmmaker director but you had to travel you had to be on set for three months at a time in europe and but you're like big leagues making a shitload of money you know blowing up would you would you find it impossible to do that and like put your family ahead i would or would you work it out for the benefit of because dude there's a lot of things you you know it's all i mean there's a few ways you could look at it. You're looking at it like you're away from your family or you could look at it where you're doing big things for your family down the line, you know, but what's your take on that? That's true. That's hard. It's a hard decision. I guess it's, uh, there'd be a lot of variables that would come into play and stuff like that. It's just, it's, uh, you sacrifice, you sacrifice your family for a career. And then I think it, it all depends on, on what would go into that decision to, to whether or not I do it. It would be great to have that come across my plate. I was going to say there'd be a lot of inherent freedom in something like that, you know, 
if, if, and it's, it's, it's a question that Dave and I actually talk about quite frequently. Um, you know, if, if somebody comes to you and says, well, Brian, uh, we have nobody to direct Godzilla to, um, <laughs> uh, the rise of the lizard, uh, you know, yep. we're going to offer you, we're going to pay you. And this is, this is kind of that thing, you know, put it in somewhat realistic. We're going to pay you, let's say $200,000 to direct it. It's going to be a, a two month shoot. And then after that, it's going to be four months of post. And then you're going to have to travel and promote it for another, let's say two months before the movie comes out. But if you do this and it's successful and we turn a profit, then, you know, you're going to be, you're going to get carte blanche on the next movie. And then, you know, that's one of those things that in between that time and the other time you have all this time to your family where you may not get it in the normal nine to five, but you might get it in bigger chunks of time, more sparse, more spaced out. And it's one of those things. I think that's actually very tough. And when we discussed this before, I I come up with the conclusion that I don't think I'd even be able to answer that question myself until it was presented to me in like a legitimate format. I mean, I don't Definitely. know if that's if that's how you feel yeah. about it. Completely done. That's, uh, thanks. Thanks for answering the question for me. Appreciate yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> it kind of depends, you know, like you said, Don. Like, what's on the table? You know, how much money we're talking? Um, but you know, family time is precious, man. Like, I'm not married. I don't have kids. I don't have a family. But you know, uh, time with loved ones, I understand that. And missing your kids growing up, <clears throat> you know, missing time with. Uh, with with people that you love and care for you don't get that back you know what i mean and right. anything happens in life you know people die you know get randomly get sick with cancer and fucking die you know shit happens car accidents and you know that's a very demanding life and lifestyle and the life of an actor and and being a big time film director i think the yeah. divorce rate is like stupid high also it is for people don't even get married. <laughs> yeah, well, it's 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 a thing too. I think. Uh, oh my god, I just had his name right on my tongue. Um, I can't remember the director's name, but they, he was talking about this. Um, David Fincher, and he goes, "You don't understand." He goes, "To be a director is your life." And he goes, "You know, I, I lost my wife. Uh, she divorced me. Uh, you know, the family is almost estranged anymore." And he still does directing because he goes, right. "They have to understand going into it." That that's the life you have to dedicate tons and tons of time to. It. Even um, if you ever follow Robert Rodriguez, um, he you know any any of his behind the scenes footage on, on how he edits, he's up until four or five in the morning. I mean, he pulls these days where he goes without sleep for you know like a week straight or something like that, or very little. And that's one of those things that that especially under the crunch of like micro budgets, man, you got that's that is some serious dedication, and your family has to be committed to that lifestyle. I would imagine. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, that to yeah, any anything that you do, uh, whether it be a hobby or a job, it's a, it's a balance between life and family and stuff like that. And like now, I'm in, um, I've been taking a step back from filmmaking per se, and I'm still behind the camera. And like I do, uh, I have my own personal videography business where like I do weddings, and and now I'm at the point where I have three weddings on my computer and they take 15 to 20 hours a piece to edit everything all put together. And that's 60 hours of editing time I have to do in the next six weeks that I have to find time for away from my family or stay up late at night. And usually stay up late at night and sacrifice sleep is, is what ends up happening. Um, but I can sure, sure tell you that probably a Hollywood budget or a big production company is going to ask me, for more time than that and and uh it's just it's a balance like you said it's just it's hard to to see where your family is but and then compared to where your passion is you know but you can't go life you can't go through life without a passion don't get me wrong on that and you can't you can't um die in a nine-to-five job with in a cubicle without Chasing what you really want to do, you know. That's a slow. Don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. The slowest of deaths. Don't get me wrong on that. Yeah, Um, yeah. Go ahead. No, I was just gonna say too. And if you can only imagine, so let's say you do that movie deal, the possibilities too. I mean, if you could imagine, you know, the big guys like the J.J. Abrams and the Steven Spielbergs and all that, uh, they probably don't have any problem bringing their family along with them to movie sets and things. You know, granted, those guys are rather large but you know once you get to that level you're set or look at george lucas he doesn't even direct anymore <laughs> he just sits back and makes money for being alive <laughs> so um i think uh chris pratt um for his 
movie deal for Guardians of the Galaxy, he had, I think in the initial thing, I think it was 18 flights, um, first class for his wife and kid when he was on the set of Guardians of the Galaxy. It was actually written into his contract. So they could fly 18 times if they wanted back and forth to wherever he was to come see him. That's awesome. I respect That's a pretty that. sweet deal. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Especially in Hollywood where it seems things are so artificial and fake. He's like, he's like really a true dude, it seems. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Bro, I got a fun question for you. What's your dream? Okay. Let's say you're in the industry. You're big, whatever, whatever. What's your dream collaboration? Uh, Could be yeah, actor, could... director. Actor, director? Who would Edward you like for long? <laughs> Megan Fox. <laughs> <laughs> No, he said, he said actor. <laughs> Megan Fox. Who, so who would I work with or who, who I don't understand who, the question. Who would, what's your, what would be your favorite collaboration? Like who, who would you like to work with? Do you think they'll be interesting or fun or like, you know, uh, who would you like to do a movie with? Dude, uh, Denzel and Tarantino. Really? At the same time? Yes. Damn, dude. I think the world would implode with, uh, Denzel <laughs> and Tarantino. <laughs> Hmm. On, on set together. <clears throat> That's cool. So, so I take it, uh, you're a huge fan of Denzel Washington. Yeah, he would be definitely one of my top ten actors. He's alright. <laughs> you know, Just it's kidding. You know, Denzel, you know what's interesting about Denzel? He, Go ahead. he doesn't, he doesn't consider himself a movie guy. I saw him do a, uh, they had like one of those Oscar shows where all the nominee, uh, nominees that year got down in a round table and, and sat and talked and he was saying, he goes, you got all these movie guys now that come out and they all want to just do movies. And he goes, I'm not a movie guy. You know, he's like, you want to learn how to do, you know, uh, uh, characters when you're acting. He goes, go out and do Macbeth or Shakespeare. He goes, I'm a theater guy, which I just found that to be interesting because he's an incredibly big movie guy, but he doesn't consider exactly. himself to be one. I just thought that was, uh, interesting. Yeah, that's kind of interesting. You know, what's, what's crazy about Denzel <clears throat> is Denzel, um, He's good at like what he does. And, and Brian, you and I have talked about this before. Um, yeah, I don't find him so diverse. Like I, I find him, he's good. Yeah. yeah, he, he's very good at what he does. Like, you know, he's, he's got that Denzel swag to him. He plays a real cool character most of the time, but he's not like, you don't see him going out there playing, you know, um, a mentally challenged guy. You don't see him playing a gay guy. You don't see him playing, um, you know what I'm trying to say? Like he doesn't, he doesn't really deviate far from what he is, you know, yeah, in not, real he's life. He's not pulling like, he's not like pulling Tom like Hardy, American Tom... Psycho, or American Psycho from Christian Bale or something right. like that, you know, like. Yeah, like Christian Bale and Tom Hardy, they're like, they're chameleons, you know, they just, they can adapt to any role, they're, they're amazing. Um, but, uh, not to say that Denzel isn't, he's, he's just fucking great at what he does, he's the man. You know, I actually, I hear that a lot about, um, Michael Caine, uh, cause I'm actually, I'm a huge fan of Michael Caine, um, because it's his choices. And even though a lot of people say, oh, he just plays Michael Caine in every movie, I don't <laughs> think that they understand, <laughs> I don't think that they understand the skill that he's using when he's playing the characters he is. Like, yeah, I read a book about him, uh, that he wrote, sorry, uh, where he was talking about even just something as simple as crying on scene, where he goes, a lot of guys, you'll see these modern actors get up there, and they go, okay, your dog's been shot, Bill. You react. And it's just, the water works like crazy and they're crying, but it's not believable. And he goes, why isn't it believable? It's not believable because in real life, you don't cry right when something happens. You have to try not to cry. And that's what makes a scene convincing or not. He goes, you don't want to tell the audience what to feel. You want to allude to the fact of what you're feeling in conflict inside, but let them figure it out, and it'll make a much more intense scene. So he's extremely analytical when he's doing something. And if you ever see a scene where he gets, like, real teary-eyed, it's him crying, trying not to cry. And that's what makes his scenes really powerful. And he never blinks, too. He he openly says that. He goes, when he was young and he was starting and acting, he realized that the strength in the camera was in the eyes. Mm-hmm. So he said he would walk around all day, all day throughout his, his town in, in England, wherever he was at, just staring at people. <laughs> like, that's like, fucking weird. Never blinking. Goes, that's really yeah, awkward. N- never blinking. And he goes, he would just stare all the time. People always thought it was weird. He goes, you know, and it's difficult at first, but then you just train yourself to get used to it. So now it's nothing. So if you ever watch him, he never, almost never blinks on camera. 
Mm-hmm. So it's the same thing, I think, honestly, not to go off on a complete tangent there, but I think it's similar to like a Denzel Washington, you know, yeah. he's doing his thing and it's good. I mean, you'll never see him. Like you said, he, he wouldn't play, uh, who was a Jared Leto's character, Matthew McConaughey in Dallas Buyers Club. But, uh, you know, they kind of don't need to. I think they've paid their dues. <laughs> you right. see, I, I appreciate good for what he does, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate, um, that style of acting, but I think, I don't know. I like the, the, uh, the guys who are like hardcore method actors, you know, like a, like a Daniel Day Lewis who, who will yes. go out and, and, and catch VD on purpose so he can cry on set. <laughs> that's dedicated. Okay. Yeah. That's a true story, guys. Like he went out there and that's not true. Um, He's spreading that around. <laughs> that's not true. Okay. Daniel no, Day Lewis. He, he, he broke a rib when he was doing a movie just because he was contorting himself so bad. I think it was called My Left Foot where he played a guy with Parkinson's or something. And, uh, he was so into the scene that he actually broke his own rib cage from muscle <laughs> contortion. Dude, the dude is fucking legit. But I think I, see, I think for me, I don't know if it's the same for the two of you guys, but I appreciate like the, the wide array of acting. You know what I mean? So it may be somebody who's like a Sam Jackson or Denzel or, or, uh, or, you know, uh, who is it? Michael Caine. Or then you have the Daniel Day Lewis's. You have these people that can just morph into any role. But I kind of appreciate all of it as long as the person's just not shitty, you know, <laughs> like. Exactly. Like, yeah. As long as they're just not a cardboard box. I get really irritated when you get some like pretty boy in there or, you know, whatever male model and it's just a cardboard cutout in a big role. And you know, like, Megan like prime, ex- prime example. Yeah. Megan <laughs> Fox. Prime example though. If you watch the <laughs> remake on Godzilla, did you, you saw that with Brian Cranston, right? Yeah. Tell me yeah. Brian Cranston didn't just drill that Aaron Taylor Johnson kid into the ground with acting. Cause that other kid is a pretty boy and oh, he's actually a pretty God. good actor. He was good in kick ass, but my God, he was completely outdone. Yeah. By, he uh, was just eclipsed. Like, um, Brian Cranston is just, he's just amazing. He's an awesome actor, man. And, uh, that guy was like, like a brick in that movie, dude. That's what I'm saying. He was just a pretty face. And it's unfortunate because I liked him in Kick-Ass, the first one. Um, but yeah, dude, when it, especially when they kill off Brian Cranston, I was like, no, there goes the best part of the movie. I was actually surprised he, he, he got killed off like so soon in that movie. Was I was disappointed. Name, yeah. yeah. Brian, I got a question for you. So as far as like actually making it in the industry, breaking into that world, what do you think is the biggest obstacle stopping people from from blowing up like in, in your opinion how how do you reach that upper uh class you know of, you know to be like a filmmaker big time like how how do you get to that level how do you get into the industry yeah no What's people your, okay so you think it's politics yeah it's i mean you all right so not so much i mean you can make a viral video like you can you can get out there and you can make this awesome film that gets passed around and um like a lot of people do this with fan films like um, District Nine is a fan film, and uh, yeah, he was a filmmaker beforehand. Why can't I think of what his name is off the top of my head? David Blum, Neil Camp? Neil Bloomcamp. Neil Bloomcamp. There you go. Um, he was a filmmaker beforehand, but he made this short online, and and guess what? That spun him off into being able to do this movie. Now he's like in talks for the new Alien, but also the guy who um did the short for saw. I mean, he, he just did a really good short film and it just kind of spun off. He ran it through the film circuits of horror films and, and just got kind of recognized that way. Um, but a lot of, a lot of it is you gotta know the right people and you also gonna have, I mean, another big factor is time. Like you need time. You need to be able to devote as much time as possible to it and you need to have to be able to, be a PA on set or, or, or work as a grip uh, in LA and, and move to areas like New York city and um, Los Angeles where a lot of the stuff's happening. And I don't think nowadays you have to be in film school and I don't think you, it, it requires you to have a degree in that a degree in that, but it does require you to actually have experience. So getting out there and making films and getting recognized that way, that's, I think with the way that the internet works and everything like that and, and, and you being able to kind of just share your stuff out there, if you make really good piece of content and somebody sees it and they like it, then they can pick you up. But I think first and foremost, it's, it's, Hey, I know a guy who did this great film. So why don't you throw a big budget at him and have him do the new ghostbusters with all dogs, you know, like something like that. <laughs> 
Oh, my That's not God. a bad idea. You heard it here first. Ghost dogs, Buster. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no comment. We won't, I was say we won't go crazy. <laughs> we won't go crazy on that, but that's popped in my head. <laughs> Just like uh, Pikachu with a shotgun, man. We're, we're, we're spearheading all kinds of great ideas here on this podcast. So, uh, Brian, I did want to uh, change it up a little bit. And, uh, even though you're a friend, you're still not free from the rapid fire. It's become, um, a source of requests from, uh, quite a few people. So okay. I'm just going to shout some things out. I don't know if you've uh, listened to us before, but, um, I just want you to answer as fast as you can. You okay. ready? You down? Yes. You sure? I am. Okay. Uh, e- <laughs> email or snail mail? Email. River or ocean? Ocean. Are you going to have a horn on your head the rest of your life or a tail coming out of your ass? Horn. British accent or French accent? British. Uh, hiking a mountain or flying a jet? Jet. Popping bubble wrap or popping bubble gum? Bubble gum. Uh, Bear Grylls or Les Shroud? Mm, Bear Grylls is an entertainer. <laughs> 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 all right, here's a good one for you. Fifth Element or Independence Day? Fifth Element, all the way. Oh, yeah, that's a good choice. I would go with that. Stand-up comedy or comedy movie? Stand-up comedy. Okay. You can get cracking up, cracking me up in there, you know. <laughs> Toothpaste or mouthwash? Uh, it depends on if you're in a pinch. Mouthwash. All right, and for the last one, if you could travel to the past or travel to the future? Future. Really? That would be it? What would you go in for the future, just out of curiosity? I, I mean, see would you, where would I end you, up. You just go for the technology? You just want to see where where uh, the human race is heading if Donald Trump becomes president? Well, yeah, we're screwed. Either way, either president is <laughs> screwed. But so, we'll so not, would you, we'll the get, future is bleak. Yeah, we'll not get <laughs> could, too political. I'd probably want to check and see all my um, – I wouldn't go too far in the future. But I'd check and see everybody that I know now and see where they are and then – um play like a little time traveler game where I go back and tell me, Hey, you, you got to change your life. Cause it's shit up there in the future. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's say you can't affect your, your previous life. You can only go up and view it, but you can't talk about it once you do it. See, I think, I think for me, I would have a hard time not going into the future, like 1500 years yeah. just to see, just out of curiosity, have like, you know, no more cell phones. Gonna, Everything's like wirelessly ourselves and not exist anymore at that point. I think somebody's gonna, I think somebody's gonna pull the trigger on one of these nukes and, and we're just gonna blow each other up in 1500 years. I don't think we'll be a civilization anymore. There, there could also be that switch that this, this machine will solve a lot of our problems and they switch it on and whoopsie. True. <laughs> There's a runaway effect. That's interesting, yeah. man. I would have figured you were a travel back into the past kind of guy. But, no. um, we'll hey, uh, real quick, real quick, uh, uh, Dave, if I ask you the same question, which way would you go? Which question? The, the the last one too. He wasn't even paying attention. No, he was drifted a second. Don't worry, we're only recording a podcast here. Okay, would you go into the future or the past, Dave? Um, ooh, that's a tough question, dude. Would I go into the future? Okay, I would. I would personally go into the past because I know it's in the past, and I can possibly correct mistakes and make my future better. Ah, uh, smart guy. But you don't know what's ahead in the future. You may fucking teleport into like a zombie apocalypse. How do you, how do you know what's ahead? That could be very true. You know what I mean? So if I had to pick, I probably would say, I'll go back to the time, you know, where something shitty happened and I correct something and that would be my mindset. So what, what if, what if you could go back and not change anything? You could only go back and you're in a little bubble. You're invisible. Nobody can see you and it's just going for observation. What, where would you go to see? What would you go to see? Just her observation. Uh, Just observation. Well, I mean, it would be in the future because the past I've already seen. <laughs> my perspective. <laughs> no, yeah, but you could say that, but if you could go back into the dinosaurs and just chill back there and see, you know, what they were actually like, I think oh, I would actually not, do that. Okay, so not my past. You're talking about the past in general. Oh, anything. Yeah, no, anything. Okay. Well, that changes the whole question. Um, <laughs> Why would you want to go back into your own past? I don't know, dude. I got like four hours of sleep. Um, <laughs> all right, hold on. Let me, let me re-answer that. So let me let me just clarify something. Is it a protective bubble? Like I can't care. Yeah, yeah, totally protected. So so you go back. Like let's say you're like in the TARDIS. So nobody can see you. You're in a protective bubble. 
you can't get crushed, you can't get hurt. So you could sit there if you wanted to to go back in time and watch like the first atom bomb go off. What, and you can what be if within... I got a pee? What happens if I got a pee? Well, then you pee. <laughs> I wouldn't okay. recommend it, but you could pee on yourself if you wanted to. You okay. could do that now, though. So too. nothing could escape the bubble. All right. Nothing could escape the bubble. All right. Even my own feces or pee. Okay. So <laughs> to answer your question, um, anywhere in the past or anywhere in the future, I probably would still pick the past because. Again, like you can you can transport to the future and it can just be like a barren landscape and you won't see see, see shit interesting. But so, the past, I know what's going on back there, so I would want to see the dinosaurs. I would want to see if you if you're talking, I can go at any point. I want to go back point. to the to the Big Bang and I want to be floating in space in a protective bubble and see the fucking Big Bang occur. That would be you pretty know? sweet. Well, what if you went back to see the Big Bang and then you found out like there's different physics involved? And you can come back and you're like, dude, there's different physics. You guys have it wrong. It was like this thing, but you can't tell them because in order to travel back in time, you swore an oath not to tell anyone upon you death. You guys have a cool movie idea. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, what's, usually, what's usually the, by the end of an episode, we're way off the rails anyhow. So. What's the second part of that question, though? I'm all confused. So, so if that occurs, I so, can't tell anyone. So, yeah, like if you could travel to the future of the past, I'm making these rules up as we go, okay? If you could travel to the future of the past, you don't interact with anything, nothing interacts with you, you can be there to visit. But the only way you can travel back is if you agree to keep everything and all the paradoxes at bay, you can't speak about it to anyone. I mean, it would suck. Like if I came back and I knew all, you know, had all this knowledge I couldn't share, but again, um, I'll pick the past because but that's no. what I'm saying. What if you saw the Big Bang? You go, oh no, it wasn't that. It was something else. And you have like all this knowledge that you could like correct physics as we know it, but you couldn't tell anybody. Well, I don't know how to answer that other than how I did. I said it would suck. <laughs> like I don't, know, I don't know what to say. Like it would just suck. Well, that wouldn't be a good movie ending, Dave, where you just sat there and just thought it would suck. So you gotta sitting get on a right bench back. like Forrest Gump, like damn. <laughs> but I have a, I have probably like. One final question for Brian. Uh, so as far as like, um, the film industry, Brian, like amateur films and all that, have you noticed, um, have you, have you noticed more support or negativity when you tell somebody, and you probably did this more so before, before, you know, having like a family and settling down, but, if you told people in the past, like, yeah, I want to be like a big time filmmaker, did you, did you notice more support or more negativity towards it? People trying to convince you not to do it. That is too uh, hard or, or, or yeah. did you experience like, yeah, go for it. No, I think you get more, more people saying like, no, you can't do it. And, uh, that's too hard or there's too many things that could get in your way to go and do that stuff. And even, um, I have to openly admit to, in some situations that probably was person's me too. And, um, you, you, um, it's a hard industry to get to, you know, like you can go to college and, and go get your a business job somewhere, but, um, you have to be really talented to, to make it in the film industry. And, and, uh, you got to make sure that, you know, the, you keep the right people around you, the people that are going to motivate you, the people that are going to are lift you up and then say like, Hey, you can get out there and you can go do this. And, uh, whatever sky's the limit, you know, that's whatever possibility you have. And the people that are out there saying like, you can't do it or usually like armchair quarterbacks, you know, like ones that have never tried the process themselves and, and can critique you like on YouTube, you know, like people trolling, leaving comments saying, Oh, well, obviously, obviously you guys don't know what you're doing or I forgot one, one of the ones that really pissed me off. I forgot, I forgot what the comment was, <laughs> but, uh, I thought it was like, uh, I can't remember what it was. But just haters being haters, you know? You got a lot of people out there. You got to keep people around you, you know? Uh, there's like a proverb that says, iron sharpeneth iron. So, like, when you're around people and, and when you have decide who's going to be in your life, especially when it comes to, like, following your passion, is making sure that you're going to have somebody that's going to uh, be there and, and push your passion and, and back you up and, and make you be better than than where you are. So. Yeah. Yeah, the singer, um, Tyrese Gibson, uh, he's always putting up like, uh, freaking positive, um, videos and, and, um, you know, thoughts and ideals about life, whatever. But he, he said that Will Smith told him something that like was like life changing for him. He said that Will Smith told him, stop, look around you 
and and the five closest people to you in your life, that's as far as you're going to go in life. He's like, whoever you surround yourself with, like, that's a, that's a good gauge of like how far you're going to go. So like, right. I think there's a lot of truth in that, man. If you're, if you're around somebody that's a go-getter or, or is established and have done things, it's going to kind of like push you in a way. You're going to get like inspired or you're going to want to kind of like try to reach that level. But if you're around people that are just blah and not doing shit with their lives, I mean, it can, it can rub off on you, you know, and they definitely, sure. they're going to tear you down. They're going to, because they haven't done shit with their lives or don't have any hopes or dreams. They're going to just have an attitude of like, ah, oh, like, you know, what, what are the odds or blah, blah, blah. But when you have people who have actually done stuff and push, they're going to push you. They're going to be like, yeah, right. man, go for it. Like, you know, <clears throat> but, um, I got nothing else for Brian. Do you uh, have anything done? No, I just, uh, if he has any, uh, sites or podcasts he wants to plug, uh, Brian. Yeah. Um, you can check uh, some of my workout and, uh, if you guys want to see Dave in action and some short films, uh, for some of them, uh, it's, uh, youtube.com slash newbreedfilms and you can check out all the stuff on there. And we also do a movie podcast, uh, that's called New Breed Film Reviews. And, uh, if you guys want to check out, um, lately what I've been doing is, um, more commercialized stuff, um, doing, uh, videos for weddings and also, um, local businesses and stuff like that. Uh, Brian King videography. Um, there's a Facebook and YouTube page for that. So that's kind of where my momentum has been going behind. I'm just keeping myself behind the camera. If I'm turning a profit, you know, I'm, uh, I'm good with that. And, uh, I think we wish you all the best of luck. I and mean, just like everybody else, I think most of the, uh, Average everybody actually that we've had on here is going through like the same stuff, you know, just trying to make it in the world, doing something they love to do. So I think we all wish you uh, the best of luck. Um, uh, for Brian, Dave, and myself, that's been episode 19 at Funny Blunt Truth. Uh, make sure you before I <laughs> that was that was mistake number three. By the way, we were just talking about this. <laughs> I meant to say <laughs> mistake number three. Damn it! And he was almost catching up. Uh, so you can find us, by the way. If I would have done this correctly, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at uh, Funny Blunt Truth on Facebook, all the same. And if you guys have any questions, concern, want to email, um, want to talk to Dave directly because he's so damn handsome, that's uh, Funny Blunt Truth Podcast at gmail.com. Uh, but back to my original. Thanks, Brian, for being on. For Dave and myself, Thanks Don. For this, has been ep- this has been episode 19 of uh, Funny Blunt Truth. We'll see you guys on the next one. Later. 